know, I have a lot of time to sort of like think like, wow, this is like, I can't believe I'm gonna win the Leadville 100. And it was still, I don't know, I didn't really like process it while I was doing it. Um, so yeah, I finished it. Yeah, it was life-changing. Um, like they say, Leadville is life-changing. Like that's one of their, the races. Slogan, yeah. Yeah, and definitely for me, it was probably more life-changing than for most. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again to Gooder for supporting this episode. I have more than a few different styles at this point, and I love them all. At $25 a pop, you can leave a pair in your car, your backpack, or really anywhere so that you'll never be without some shades. You can feel good about your purchase too, as 1% of Gooder's annual gross sales, that's not just profits, go directly to environmental nonprofits working towards making our world a better place. If you'd like to support me in the show, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooder's and head over to gooder.com and get free shipping with the code FTLR. Your face will thank you. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight, and they're incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that Merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in the cold or hot weather. In fancy words, Wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. This episode with Adrian McDonald was sadly cut short due to some technical malfunctions, but I hope you enjoy it anyways. And so sorry about the dropout right near the end. And welcome back. I have Adrian McDonald joining me on the podcast today. Adrian, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for bearing with the, the dog and audio production oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> concerns here. So hopefully we don't have too many uh, sounds of barking in the background, but we'll see how it goes. All right. <laughs> so, um, First question, always a tough one. Who is Adrian? Yeah, um, it's tough because it like depends who's asking. Um, 
pretend I'm asking. Yeah. For the running world, um, I've won the last two Leadville Trail 100s. Um, I'm a, I coach high school. Um, I'm on the board of the Fort Collins Running Club. So a lifelong runner. I love it. I love sharing it with other people. I'm just all about sort of like my goal with coaching is to build lifelong runners. I'm a lifelong runner. That's my goal. I think that's helped lead me to where I am. Um, yeah. And I just, I guess that's, that's who I am. Lifelong runner. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen you finish Leadville. It was very cool to see. Which one? Uh, 22. Okay. And I want to talk about that race, but let's first talk about you as a runner in general. Do you remember your first run? So I don't, I like grew up as like an, an athlete, like playing soccer and football and baseball. And I guess like the first that I remember, like this is a run as opposed to like doing sprints or something was um, actually like football practice. They used to make us run laps um, like in full pads before practice. And it's funny because like you think it would have been soccer, but it was actually like football where you're doing like a little bit of distance running, it felt like. So that was probably when I was in middle school. Like, like the first actual like road run that I did um, was to make the high school soccer team. You had to run two miles in under 14 and a half minutes. So the summer before my sophomore year of high school, I started going out for two mile runs and just running as fast as I could. So two miles turns into three miles, turns into four miles, turns into marathons and beyond and hundred milers. Um, what did that genesis look like? Um, yeah, sort of like in high school and college, I was a mid distance runner, like 800 a mile. And then I tried to do that a little bit after college. And then I eventually switched to marathons and then I was doing that in Boston. And then I moved to Colorado. And once you're here in Colorado in Fort Collins, you just like run into people that are doing ultra marathons, which wasn't really the case <laughs> in Boston. Like the marathon city. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, if like if he can do it, why can't I? But it was really the I was training for actually the Boston Marathon 2020. Um, then COVID hit, and I'd had like the idea of doing Leadville in the back of my head, but that was sort of the like, the final straw. Was all right. All the races are road races are canceled. There's some trail races going on. Uh, I think now's the time to jump in. And so you dove in head first with Hunter Miler. Uh, yeah, like I decided summer of 2020 that I wanted to do 21 Leadville and I hadn't run an ultra yet. Um, so like I, I did run a 40 mile and a 50 mile race before Leadville, but I decided I want to do a hundred before. How come? There's just something I could get excited about. Like I was excited about running marathons, but I don't know, the like 50K didn't excite me too much. 50 miles, 100K, um, but like 100 miles I could get really excited about. What do you mean by excited? What is, what, um, how, does, how does that manifest? Just like something that I could, I don't know, like it's hard, like training for any, like any distance is really hard. And you just need that, I don't know, the fire in you that makes you want to do it really well. And like, obviously I ran those 40 and 50 mile races, but all of it was geared towards getting ready for Leadville in 2021. Was there any fear as a part of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's so long and like no one knows, like even the jump from 100K to 100 miles is 
40 miles. It's like a huge, huge jump. And like, you can't really put yourself into like a position in training, like of how you're going to feel 12 hours or 14 hours into something. Um, so it's like complete unknown. Did that part excite you? Yeah. And that's like why that was like one of the things that gave me that excitement for that, that distance is like, can I do it? Can I be good at it? I don't know. I think I can be, but I want to like go out there and prove it. So you make that commitment to yourself that you're going to run Leadville 2021. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that you did? Or what's the next thing that you did? So I, I guess I signed up for that 40 mile race, which was the Austin Rattler in Austin, Texas. And that was like, there is a lottery for Leadville, but you can also have, they have the Leadville race series and you can qualify. Um, And so that, that was November, 2020. Um, So I signed up for that to go get an entry into Leadville. And what was that race like? Um, And that was that your longest run? Yeah. I had done one 30 mile training run not leading up to that race, just a couple of years earlier, yeah. just to see what it was like. Um, yeah, and this was, it was like weird. It was like the middle of COVID, but it was Texas. So <laughs> um, <laughs> they weren't too strict there. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I didn't really know. I didn't really know like how fast I could run. Like I thought I could run like seven minute pace and I was just like, pulling it out of the air. And um, it was a two lap race. I was running with um, another runner and halfway through, I'm like, all right, I think we can go faster. And we both started picking it up. And um, right when I was starting to think about how I was going to drop him, he he dropped me. And <laughs> I struggled in the last seven miles. Um, and it was like not like I finished like thinking, oh, this was like really hard. Like yeah. I came second. I got my entry into Leadville. But um, I was not super excited at that point about having to run 60 miles longer. So that's why I decided, like, I wanted, I did the 50 mile race in March and I wanted that to be like a more positive experience. What did you do to make sure it was, or was it? Um, yeah, that one, that was Antelope Island, Buffalo Run, Salt Lake City. And I think I got dehydrated in Texas. Um, so I just, I went into that one wanting to make sure that I just drank a lot of water. Got it. We got it. We got salt stick over here. We got to get you some of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you were super dehydrated. You realized that. Um, were there any mental prep aspects that you changed in that buildup? Um, I think like the mental, I mean, 50 miles is a long way too, but I think the, like my mental preparation really kicked in when I um, started focusing on Leadville that summer. Um, yeah, I knew the 50 mile race was like six and a half hours, which is like, it's long, but it's not like super overnight. Long. It's yeah. not sun, sunrise, sunset. Yeah. yeah. So the miles continue, you're getting closer to getting to a place where you need to start thinking about race day. What was it like approaching something like that, that was totally new to you and that Maybe in a 50 miler, you have a pacer or, or not. You have a crew, you know, maybe they show up once or twice. Whereas with Leadville, you're out there for a whole lot longer. The crew is more important. The, the nutrition is more important. The headlamp, all this stuff. 
um, all these aspects that are so different than just a 50 miler, yeah. put that in air quotes for those who are listening. What was, what was approaching that task like? Um, yeah, like I had pretty much done the, the 40 and 50 miler unsupported. My dad did come out for the 50 miler, which was great. Um, so yeah, like sort of for Leadville, I assembled a crew, which was great. Um, those people were excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, and it sort of makes it more of a team sport, right. which is fun. And I'm lucky to have Nick Clark, who's like sort of a mentor of mine and a friend. And he was going to be there crewing and pacing. And I remember thinking he was sort of my security blanket. Yeah. Because he had run Leadville a few times, top three and top finishes at Western States and uh, won Wasatch. And just so experienced. Um, Really great to have him on my side. And I knew that because he was doing it, that he thought that I could do well. Yeah. So that gave me, just having him on my side, gave me the confidence. My first 50K, Devin Yanko was crewing and it was the same vibe. Like she was a security blanket. Anything that could go wrong, she would have dealt with in the past in another event. And there's like such a reassurance and a comfort in, like you still have to do something super hard, but knowing that there's someone there that can help you triage almost anything that comes up, it's super reassuring. Yeah, I mean, luckily nothing went wrong. (laughs) But just knowing that if something did, you'd be there. For sure. Okay, so you're prepping for Leadville in 2021. Um, did you do a lot of training at high altitude? Yeah, and um, I guess the other part of uh, that summer, it was like the best summer I ever had. Just like going into the mountains yeah. every single weekend, going to new places and with new friends. Um, and I remember thinking that summer that... I didn't care how the race went. I had so much fun training that it would have been a, a win no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Um, what were the, some of the ways that you made sure it was fun? Or was it just like so new and so adventurous that it was like... Yeah, it was just so... Like I've been... I had done some runs in the mountains before, but never anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just like fell in love with it. Um, what was it about? What was it about it that was just so different? Um... It was just like, I don't know, like you drive up and down I-25 yeah. and you see the mountains and then like that's somewhere I'd be like, I can go, like I could go. Playing right. that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like, and, like feeling strong doing it too. Um, just like gave me so much confidence. So you have this hell of a time in June, July, August leading up to the race. You get to the start line. It's what, a 5 a.m. start? Probably. 4. 4 a.m. start. Yeah. What are you thinking about at 4 a.m. in Leadville, Colorado on some morning in <laughs> August? Um, yeah, well, I wasn't really thinking about winning. Um, I had, like, I wanted to do well, like, top three is sort of my goal, um, which I thought was reasonable. But definitely there was some talk of a couple of runners going after the course record, and I didn't want anything to do with that. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I just, I had a coach uh, in Boston with the Greater Boston Track Club, Tom Dadarian, and he would, before my first marathon, he was like, you want to start the race half asleep? And I've like translated that to ultras, like starting the race completely asleep. Um, so that's what I'm sort of thinking about is like to not waste any extra energy at the start of the race. So you get going, 
Um, one of the cool things about Leadville is the fact that it's an out and back makes yeah. the spectating really, really easy. Last year, I spent most of the day at Twin Lakes. Yeah, I went up to Hope Pass and came back down as everyone else was coming up. And then we hung out there all day. Um, what were your expectations around crowd support? Because right, you said you were training for marathons. What was your expectation around crowd support for, it's not remote, but a race out in the middle of mountains? Yeah. Um, well, it was, uh, compared to the two other ultras I had done, Leadville was huge. Um, and there were, like, Twin Lakes especially is really yeah. cool. And it's so energizing because you are out there alone for so much of the time. And then you come through this little town right. and it's packed with people. And especially, I remember... I came through Twin Lakes the first time, it's the mile 42 or, or so. Um, and I was in like third place and I was not expecting to be that far up at that point. And I was actually having like a bunch of, bunch of stomach issues yeah. and I like finally figured that out. So I like cruised in, I was feeling really good. There are tons of people there after just sort of being alone in the woods for hours and hours. And it's sort of like electric and uplifting. Um, and then it's like really quick. You're like through in two minutes and then you're back in the woods by yourself. And so you come through, you're like, okay, I'm in third place. Was there, did you feel any pressure? Like, I know you talked about wanting to, to podium. The reason I ask is I'm, I'm super curious when we do these races, we don't necessarily expect everything to go smoothly or right. perfectly. Maybe if you hit 70%, you've outdone yourself. Here you are at mile 42. You're like, whoa, this is where I wanted to be finishing. Yeah. Um, was that alarming? Was that reassuring? And how did you how did you handle that? Yeah, it was. So like I just said, I was like, I was having these stomach issues. Like I probably stopped 10 times to in that first 40 miles, like get off the trail and try and fix it. And somehow, like despite that, which has always been my worst like nightmare going into any long race is like stomach issues. Yeah. And like, despite that, I was in third, third place. I'm like, wow, this is great. And like feeling really good too. Um, and then like right after leaving Twin Lakes, I saw it was Cody Reed who was in second. And like, I saw him in the distance, like, oh, I'm, I'm gaining on him. So that puts me in second place. And yeah, at that point, Tyler Andrews was, was leading. And, and point, this is a low altitude race for Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's done a lot of uh, high altitude stuff. Um, I was thinking, yeah, Tyler's going to, I think he ran a smart race. He's probably going to win. I, I'll take second. It'd be kind of cool if, because he's from Massachusetts. I'm right. from Massachusetts. It'd be kind of cool if like two Massachusetts guys win, go first and second and high altitude Mudville. So the race finishes, you cross first. Yeah. Then what? Um, yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I passed Tyler about 50 miles in and then, I don't know, I had a lot of time to sort of like think like, wow, this is like, I can't believe I'm going to win the Leadville 100. And it was still, I don't know, I didn't really like process it while I was doing it. Um, so yeah, I finished it. Yeah, it was life-changing. Um, like they say, Leadville is life-changing. Like that's one of their, the races. Slogan, yeah. Yeah, and... Definitely for me, it was probably more life-changing than for us. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? 
It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. On August 8th, we're launching the 8x8x8 challenge, which is the biggest virtual event ever in the world of sleep and fitness. Over the course of eight days, I'm gonna be running eight miles each day and I'm sleeping eight hours every night. This is our way of showing our commitment to fitness and to optimal rest and recovery. And we want you to join us for the challenge. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash 8x8x8. That's 8x8x8 to sign up for updates and share your journey to win exclusive prizes from Lagoon. So prove that you've got what it takes to sleep like a champ and perform like one too. It's the 8x8x8 challenge. Let's go. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I'd been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. What happens next? Um, I was an amateur going into it. Um, right. And I started getting brands reaching out to me. Um, I hired an agent because I realized that I had no idea what I was worth. And if this brand is offering me this, maybe there's better opportunities out there. Um, started doing podcasts. I My Instagram follower count went up like from just my friends and family. I had fans. Um, yeah, it was all like, yeah, like overnight success. It's kind of cool. <laughs> was some of it, was there some aspect? So I, I spoke with um, Dakota Lindworm yesterday on the podcast and she told a similar story. She's a pro marathoner um, from Minneapolis and she had a couple of pretty awesome performances. Uh, she won, I believe it was grandma's marathon and uh, brands came calling and she was like all of a sudden i had fans and all of a sudden this thing i was doing for me is now public yeah um was there an aspect of it that you were like oh shit this might now be different um i don't know if i like there are there are like the external like pressures now like i run for on and i want to do well for them because they've put these resources behind me and like i've had these documentaries made about me and there's like pressure with that but like I said at the beginning, like I'm, I'm a lifelong runner. I've always put a lot of pressure on my results, even if it's um, like just because I want to be really good at it. Um, I don't know. And I've, 
I try like with the fans and everything like I just think that's it's fun. Yeah. Um, and I think most of them understand the sport and that you're not going to win every time and they're going to still like, if you're a good person and they see that you're trying hard, they're still going to sort of be your fan. But you have one every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At a hundred miles so far. <laughs> Are you going back to Leadville this year? No, I'm doing UTMB. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I love the sort of behind the scenes of what it's like to be an athlete and you have some people who come in and they're like, okay, I ran middle school cross country and I was destined to be a professional runner. And then you have people who found whatever specialty of the sport they're in, in their twenties or thirties or whatnot. Um, I mean, look at um, Kira D'Amato, who like, yeah. the resurgence in her mid thirties. And now she's a professional runner. The, the different ways that people can find their place in the sport is, is fascinating. So for you, I'm, I'm curious what it was like going from, I know you said overnight success, but like it's an overnight success over 10 years or whatever it is. Um, but what, what has been the most fun aspect of this, like being thrown into the, into the limelight? Yeah. Um, I think just all the new people that I get to meet. Um, some of it is like I'm more confident now, but if I go somewhere, people like want to run with me. And maybe in the past I wouldn't have like reached out to them, but now I'm like confident in myself yeah. and I'll... Does that carry over into your day-to-day life too? Yeah, definitely. How so? Um, well, I guess, I don't know, I wasn't, with my other career, I've never been too, like it's not something that excites me. I'm not passionate about it. It's always been the running that like, gets me going and... Now I sort of have this justification for why I was like sacrificing my other like career all yes. these years. Because like I have this like I found like a lot of success in running 100 miles at, at one time, um, <laughs> and it's like a weird thing, but it um, yeah, it just makes me a more confident person. That's the aspect of running that I think is super valuable, right? Like at its core, running is silly. Like you subject yourself to pain and discomfort and it's totally optional and you can quit at any time. Right. And that sandbox allows us to try stuff and grow and improve and then carry it over into life. I've shared this analogy a million times, but like I work in sales, it's really challenging to go after big numbers. And the only way to go after big numbers is to go after small numbers and small numbers and small numbers and small numbers. And eventually all of that adds up into something big. You could say the same is exactly, is true with, you know, how you approach a training block, right? Like when you started running and wanting to do Leadville, you couldn't have done Leadville on that day. You decided to do it, but you trained and you trained and you trained, you did a 40 miler and 50 miler and then eventually you can do it. And to me, that's the value of running, right? Like all the people we meet, all this and that, and also how it translates into into life. Um, I'll stand on that soapbox every day. <laughs> okay, so you love the 100-mile distance. You're, you're good at it. You've done it a couple times. What is it about that distance? And I ask as someone who's never done it, the furthest I've ever run was 45 miles. And I'm so curious what happens 12, 14, 16 hours in. Yeah. So I was talking a little bit earlier about my mental prep going into it and 
but having like the team, my crew and having Nick sort of be confident in me and how that helped. But the other part of it was hundred miles thinking about it is really overwhelming. The drive. Uh, yeah. Any, yeah. It's, and so the way I, I looked at it was I'm just going to wake up, get to the start line at 4am and just run all day. So I'm going to run the pace that allows me to do that. And I've done other things all day. Like I've driven all day. I've hiked all day. Um, I know I'm fit. I just need to just go and run all day. It's drink enough water and eat the foods that are going to allow me to do that. And it's just that simple. Yeah, it was for me. I mean, mean, obviously something about me, I don't know what it is, makes me good at it. Um, And I understand that for other people, there are lots of things that, that come up that may not be issues for me. Meaning it, it didn't get as hard as you were expecting or you were able to process the challenges better than you thought you were going to? Um, like I'm trying to understand yeah. what, what part of it is well, it was, so good. I said that it was easy, that first one. Um, I remember going back into Twin Lakes at mile 60 and I, was, I wanted to ask Nick when... 100 milers get hard. Um, People are probably listening to yeah. like, oh my God, <laughs> screw this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was hard. I just, like when you have like this amazing day that's like beyond your yeah. wildest dreams, like you forget that anything was hard because you just remember like taking the lead and um, was it, all these. Was it flow? Was it, were you just like locked in flow? Yeah, and I think it helped that I did take the lead, right? But like, the hardest part of Leadville is going up Hope Pass the second time. Like it's the steepest. Yeah. You're going to the highest altitude. Um, you still have a really long way to go and it's really hard. But that's when I... All of 50 miles. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I like took the lead and I was like rushed with all these like emotions about leading. And that's when I like really felt like I was racing to try and make sure the guys behind me wouldn't catch up. Um, so I think that that sort of helped me like block out how hard it was. Um, but did it feel like it was, right? Because I, I asked about flow. Yeah. And it's such a bizarre feeling when you're doing something hard, but it doesn't seem hard. Yeah. And it's such a magical, like the stars have to align and cool stuff has to happen in order to... Yeah. Tons of prep, um, all the, you know, nailing everything. Yeah, I, I guess there were, like, some elements of that whole day just sort of being flow. Um, but, I mean, I was also worried about not pooping my pants. Speaking <laughs> um, so, of flow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're training for UTMB this summer. Um, you've had two wonderful performances at Leadville. Uh, UTMB is quite a different course right. in a very different place. What are you doing differently in order to prepare for a race like that where American men haven't seemed to figure out how to how to do it? Yeah, um, like you said, UTMB, it's a different piece. Leadville has 15,000 feet of elevation gain and loss, and UTMB has 30,000. Leadville's taken me about 16 hours. I'm hoping I can do... UTMB in uh, 19, 20 hours. Um, so I'm going to try and do a little bit more like elevation gain and loss in training. I've gotten by at Leadville 
mostly eating gels and gummies. And I'm not sure if that would last for another four hours. You like cheese? Uh, cheese and meat. Yeah, I've heard they give that up. Um, maybe I'll try that. Um, I did, I raced 100 miles in Australia back in December. And I, in that race, I ate a lot more real food, like peanut butter and jelly, tortillas. And I don't know if it's because I wasn't at 10,000 feet or because I was eating better, but I didn't have to go to the med tent when I crossed the finish line. So I'm hopeful. The wind. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that like I'm really good at running 100 miles at 10,000 feet, but I'm hoping that I can be even better at sort of moderate elevation uh, that is UTMB. So um, Finn Melanson has been asking fun questions all over Twitter over the last, I guess, year, year plus. Um, One of the most recent conversations was around um, choosing races as professional athletes. And if race choices would be similar, if not for bonuses or brands wanting, you know, look at Hoka with with UTMB and Western States, et cetera. Um, I'm curious how you landed on UTMB and sort of less specifically that one and more so like how do you how do you choose races in general? So I've done Leadville twice. I won by 40 minutes and then two hours. So yeah there was I saw you finish and I was like wow there's nobody around here. I'm going home. (laughs) And then I ran in Australia and won by an hour. So I mean winning winning's fun but I also want to challenge myself against better competition. So there are only a couple races in the world that have better competition than than these ones, and that's Western States and UTMB. They're guaranteed to get better competition. And I'm hoping that the competition will like bring more, bring more out of me. I haven't trailed a hundred miler after 50 miles yet. And I expect that won't be the case at UTMB. It'd be pretty cool if it were the case. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, like, I think I, I can win. I may also fail, but I think I can think I can win or do really well. But yeah, I'm probably not going to be leading for the last 50 miles of yeah. it. And I'm hoping that that competition like, brings like another level out of me. Like when I really have to be racing the last, like 25 miles. Cool. So yeah, the, the competition is what helps with the race selection. Okay, so you're you're excited to, to experience the competition in a new way that you haven't before. It will be fascinating, I'm sure, to be in a field where you have that, that um, people around you. And one of the things I love most about racing, I'm certainly not at the front of the pack, but just like seeing somebody next to me and just wanting to beat them. And we can do so much more in the presence of others in that regard. So do you feel that there, maybe there's another level to unlock in your capacity and that like you won Leadville by 40 minutes and two hours. Like what if somebody were right there next to you? I imagine you you probably would have finished faster, right? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I'd like to think that I, I would have. Definitely the first year, I was the last 13 miles from May Queen to the finish. I just wanted to like soak in that experience. Yeah. And I didn't really 
pushed all the way to the end. This past, last summer, Nick was pacing me and trying to get me to run under 16 hours, which only two other people have done. And so I was running pretty hard, but I've never really, in all my track racing and marathoning, I've always like beating other people or like getting, like when I ran Boston, I wanted to be top 50. That was what would like really push me at the end of a race. So I'm hoping that if it comes down to that, that that, that will be there and I can dig a little deeper. So people love to say that phrase, dig a little deeper. What does it mean to you? Um, so, and this sort of goes back to college racing um, or any sort of shorter races, but when you make that decision that it's like a really hard decision to make. And this is what I tell high school kids that I coach too. Is like, you have to make a decision that you're going to try as hard as you can um, at the end of a race. And it's really hard to make it because it hurts a ton. But once you make that decision, uh, you sort of forget about it. And that's when you can sort of go from giving 99 to 100%. And it actually like feels easier once you've done it. But like I said, it's really hard to make that that decision. My fastest marathon, I remember exactly the moment that I made that decision. I was on cobblestone. Uh, It was like mile 20 of the Providence Marathon. And I, I like remember exactly where I was. It's like I better not roll my ankle on this. Yeah. Why would they go over this? And I was doing some math, and I was like, if I only run X pace for the next ten k, I'll break three hours. Make it hurt. And I was like, okay, I can either back off and be a wimp, or I can do something I've never done. And so I posted on Instagram later that day with a shot of my watch saying 259.40. And the caption was, if you want to do something you've never done, you have to go to a place you've never been. And the headspace that I was in, in that last 10K, I hope I get there again. Yeah, It's just like, it's exactly what you're saying. And it's so hard to access that space when everything is telling you, stop. Yeah. And your your brain and your conscious thought is saying, but I don't want it and I'm not going to. Yeah, and I'm not, so I've, like I've been in that same situation in marathons and you look back on it and it's sort of, it's almost like you blacked out. You don't remember anything. You just sort of just running as hard as you can. Um, And I don't know if that is like a space you can get to and, 100 miles, but maybe it is. You're damn well going to find out, aren't you? We'll see, yeah. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 